From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Medical experts say that the government's slow response to the coronavirus outbreak has left Australia exposed and a lack of resources could make the crisis worse. Today, Mike Seckham on the challenge our country and health system is facing. We're covering the coronavirus every day this week on the show. This is part two, what the government did wrong. Mike, Bill Botel has been a leading critic of the government's response to coronavirus. You spoke to him for your story in the Saturday paper. Can you tell me a little bit about that phone call? Well, um, Bill is an adjunct professor at the Kirby Institute for Infection and Immunity at the University of New South Wales. And he was the architect of Australia's uh, response to the AIDS epidemic several decades ago. And, and our response was world leading at the time. So he knows quite a bit about the insidious way in which mass diseases can spread. Mike Seckham is the Saturday Paper's national correspondent. So, so anyway, I rang him on Monday morning and um, before I could even ask a question, in fact, I, couldn't e- I didn't even have time to turn on the tape for the first part of he went so quickly. The facts of the matter are they were warned 12 weeks ago by WHO and everybody else what was coming. They, by which he meant the government, they did not accumulate test kits. They did not accumulate the necessary emergency equipment. They did not undertake a public education campaign. They gave no money to science, no money to the WHO. They gave no money to research, no money to the International Vaccine Initiative. They did nothing. They, they, they diligently did not do anything. I'm not, I, do, I am deeply frightened. So what Bill Botel is saying to you is that the Australian government spent months watching the coronavirus crisis escalate elsewhere in the world before it arrived here and then basically did nothing about that. that that's exactly right. And, and Australia's slow reaction is all the more unforgivable for that. We were granted, largely due to good luck and our geographical isolation, the luxury of time to watch and learn. I mean, we were slow learners. And now the spread of the disease is showing up not only the deficiencies in our short-term response, but also it's showing up pre-existing shortcomings in Australia's healthcare system. When did we start to see the government respond in a serious way to coronavirus? Well, with the exception of the travel bans, first on China, then on South Korea, Iran, and then way, way too late on Italy, the first real indication that the government was getting serious didn't come until February 27, when Scott Morrison held a joint media conference with the health minister, Greg Hunt, and the deputy chief medical officer, Paul Kelly, to announce the activation of the so-called Coronavirus Emergency Response Plan. Earlier today, the National Security Committee met for three hours... Uh, to consider the next round of advice and the information we've been receiving in relation to the coronavirus. At that point, I should add, there, there were still just a handful of cases in Australia and all of those cases had come here from abroad. So, so anyway, they had this big presser in the Prime Minister's courtyard, during which, I counted, they said the word plan 32 times. And so you can be assured that the constant management of that plan, the constant communication, is a key part of the plan itself. But, but, the, plan, but the plan in reality was, was more of a blueprint for bureaucratic consultation. The thing about this plan, and as, as, uh, as Dr Murphy reminded us this morning, the key to plans such as this is they need to be flexible. 
They need to be able to... There, there were no concrete actions mentioned. None of the three men, and I think this is important, even uttered the words hygiene or hand-washing or social distancing. Um, the key message that I really want to get across to Australians today is because of the actions we've taken on the coronavirus, on the coronavirus we've got ahead, we intend to stay ahead, and together we will get through this. Thank you very much. So it was a, a big event that produced not much. Mike, there's been a lot of confusion, especially around testing and, and people not knowing what to do. Can you talk me through where that confusion originated? Well, for a start, there was a lot of confused information going out at various press conferences. A couple of weeks ago, for example, Greg Hunt, the health minister, publicly said, if in doubt, get yourself tested. And that's the important message. We would rather, even though it can be a little bit of a stress on the system, we would rather people over-test rather than under-test. And, and this was followed, of course, by a run of people seeking tests lined up outside hospitals and such like. And then a couple of days later, the chief medical officer, Brendan Murphy, rather tactfully um, referred to, quote, some confusion, unquote, uh, and countermanded what Hunt had to say. But at the moment, we are not recommending that general members of the community with acute respiratory symptoms, colds, flu and the like, uh, be tested. So that's one example of mixed messaging. Then there's another one that was conveyed to me by uh, the president of the AMA in South Australia, where early in the piece there was signage produced by the federal and some state health authorities, which was intended to go up in doctors' windows. And it was wrong, and potentially disastrously so. The messaging was that, that people who thought they might have the disease should, quote, tell staff immediately upon entering a surgery if they thought they were at risk. Uh, well, that was completely wrong. The South Australian signage said, do not enter. Instead, go home and call your doctor and wait for advice. So we basically spent the first phase of the outbreak unnecessarily delaying our response. Then in the second phase, our messaging was, was mixed and confused. And, and now all of that is compounding with a bigger problem, which is a lack of resources in our health system to, to deal with the crisis. We'll be back in a moment. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. It's the essential account of the week in politics, culture and news. When you read the Saturday paper, you don't need to read anything else. Subscribe today from just $2.10 per week. Visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. The Saturday Paper, the whole story. Mike, we're talking about Australia's response to coronavirus. The virus is well and truly here now. What is the state of our health system and will it cope? First of all, let's not sound too alarmist. I mean, Australia has a generally strong health system, but there are some critical weaknesses relevant to this um, crisis. The OECD data shows that we are well down the list, about halfway down the list of, of advanced countries, 
in terms of the number of hospital beds that we have. So we have about 3.8 per 1,000 of population, which is about the same as Norway, um, a little ahead of Italy and Spain, but it's way behind Japan and South Korea, which have nearly four times as many beds. So the, the truth here is that our, our hospitals are pushed to their limits, even by a moderately severe flu season. I spoke to Vlado Perkovic, the Dean of Medicine at, at University of New South Wales. He just put it very bluntly. Our hospital system runs very lean. It runs with, with no regular surge capacity. And, and that means that we're exposed to any sort of event that leads to a large increase in, in resource requirements and people turning up at hospitals. So um, there's no doubt that, that that will challenge us and challenge our health system. And that's where we are now. But there are many people who are still very complacent. And if we don't um, get over that complacency and realise that every single person has to take this seriously, we run the risk of um, heading for the sort of catastrophic scenes that we've seen in other parts of the world. And so, Mark, are there measures that we can take to improve our health capacity then, at least in the short term? Well, well, there are some. Um, there's been much publicity about um, plans to increase the number of ICU beds, of which there are only about 2,200 in the country at the moment, I, I might say, um, by cancelling elective surgery. But uh, Stephen Duckett, the health program director at the Grattan Institute, suggests that won't help a whole lot. And the reason for that is that if we start cancelling elective surgery, it won't make a big difference to ICU because very few elective surgery patients take up ICU beds because, by and large, they're, they're otherwise pretty healthy. I mean, that that's why it's uh, elective surgery. OK, so with a potential surge in people needing to be hospitalised, experts are just saying that we, we don't have enough beds. We don't have enough beds. In the case of even a, you know, a, a moderate outbreak of this, this thing in Australia, we're going to be really overstretched. I mean, that's what Duckett said. He said it, it won't be enough. You can move on the elective patients, but it still won't be enough. So, so that's one factor. The, the other factor is a demographic one, which is that over the past two decades in this country, we've been ageing at a tremendous rate. The number of people aged over 85, which, you know, all the stats show us is the group most at risk from coronavirus because it's a disease that overwhelmingly affects the elderly. The number of people over 85 has increased by 117.1% over the past 20 years. That's three times the rate of general population growth. So if you add that in with the fact that our hospitals have not been terribly well resourced, it's no surprise that the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, in a report last year, found that the increase in public hospitalisations was three times the rate over the past five years uh, at which new public hospital beds were being added to the system. So what does that actually mean practically, Mike? Well, practically what that means is that uh, the system was already under great stress because, uh, because resourcing wasn't keeping up with demand and now demand is about to escalate dramatically. So, Mike, given how stretched the health system already is and the pressure that it's about to come under, what are the lessons that we can learn right now? Well, one would seem to be that we need to put more into, uh, into hospital beds there's another one, of course, here, which is um, we need to be more self-sufficient in crucial medical gear. I mean, at the moment, half the world's face masks come from Wuhan. Reagents for testing come from Italy. Test kits come from the United States. I mean, this is, this is part of globalisation, and it's the same problem that's afflicting a lot of sectors of the economy in this crisis, is that supply chains can break down. So you actually need a much greater domestic resource to draw on. 
And then apart from that, the big thing, which is the thing that goes to the general public rather than the, the hospitals and the health experts, and that can be summed up in two words, which are hygiene and distancing. When I spoke to Perkovic, I mean, he, he noted that, that the number of cases, confirmed cases, in this country had quadrupled in the week to last Wednesday, which is when I spoke to him. Uh, and he issued a dire warning. He said, it'll probably be 2,000 next week, and the week after that, 8,000. And if we don't take this seriously, it could potentially be 32,000 a week after that. And that's when, you know, our hospital system would be really overwhelmed, I think. What that tells us is the time for complacency is past. Which takes us back, I guess, to where we started with Bill Botel. Had the government acted sooner and more decisively, those figures could have been very different. Mike, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Oh, thank you for the call. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. And as the government-imposed shutdown of thousands of pubs, clubs and restaurants took effect yesterday, the economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic became apparent. Thousands of newly unemployed Australians lined up at Centrelink offices across the country, hoping to register for welfare payments. The demand for government support was so large it crashed the MyGov website. The Government Services Minister, Stuart Robert, initially blamed a cyber attack for the website being offline before correcting the record to admit it was a capacity issue. More than 55,000 Australians tried to access the website at the same time. Labor has criticised the government for not providing more staff to process claims. And nearly 50 people who disembarked from the Ruby Princess cruise ship in Sydney have tested positive for coronavirus. The cruise ship was carrying nearly 3,000 passengers, all of whom were allowed to disembark, despite a number of people on board showing symptoms of the virus. And the Australian share market lost $100 billion in value on Monday. The Reserve Bank has announced it'll spend another $4 billion buying government bonds after making a record bond purchase last Friday. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow. 